verses 16 through 24. A little while, and you will see me no longer. And again, a little while, and you will see me. So some of his disciples said to one another, What is this that he says to us? A little while, and you will not see me. And again, a little while, and you will see me. And because I am going to the Father. So they were saying, What does he mean by a little while? We do not know what he is talking about. Jesus knew that they wanted to ask him, so he said to them, Is this what you are asking yourselves, what I meant by saying, A little while and you will not see me, and again a little while and you will see me? Truly, truly, I say to you, you will weep and lament, but the world will rejoice. You will be sorrowful, but your sorrow will turn into joy. When a woman is giving birth, she has sorrow because her hour has come. But when she has delivered the baby, she no longer remembers the anguish for joy that a human being has been born into the world. So also, you have sorrow now, but I will see you again, and your hearts will rejoice, and no one will take your joy from you. In that day, you will ask nothing of me. Truly, truly, I say to you, whatever you ask of the Father in my name, he will give it to you. Until now, you have asked nothing in my name. Ask, and you will receive, that your joy may be full. Good evening, beloved. Um, Tonight, as we look at this text, I I want us to be reminded of what uh, Jesus is doing and what he's leading his disciples in. Uh, There's great value in in a reminder as we think about putting things into our calendar, whether it be uh, an upcoming test date or a due date or uh, meetings that we have. We see that there is, um, not that we don't know this information, but we're helped by being reminded. Now we see this in the Bible time and time again as Paul reminds the churches and those who he has labored with in ministry of the gospel that he has taught them and uh, of how he lived when he was among them. So my aim tonight is to uh, do just that, to to remind um, all of us what was the situation as Jesus is preparing his disciples for his crucifixion. We're we're going to try and enter into um, Thursday night with the disciples. Um, My hope is that tonight's going to serve you well as a reminder of the teachings of King Jesus. So as we do with any study of the Gospels, it's important to remember that we can read this knowing what has already happened. But the disciples read this without that knowledge. They do not understand that Christ is going to be resurrected. Um, So we read this in a different way. For us, his resurrection is historical fact, but for them it's uh, a story that is confusing and is leading them into despair. Um, As we study this tonight, I want to enter into the emotions of the disciples. Uh, I don't want to try and manipulate your emotions or mislead you, um, but I do want us to understand the emotionally charged language of Jesus and and the emotions and the, 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 the swirling of emotions that are within the disciples as they listen to and, and try to comprehend what Christ is telling them. So with that in mind, um, we can turn to the text And as we just had read by Miriam, it's John 16. Um, There's only two points tonight in our text. It's going to be the hurt of the disciples and the hope for the disciples. The the hurt that comes from uh, a failure to understand the Messiah's promise of peace and the hope 
that there will be life after death. So the first question we have to answer then is, what causes the disciples hurt? Now the first answer comes in verse 16, uh, or in response to Jesus' question in verse 16. In the verse he says, a little while and you will see me no longer, and again a little while and you will see me. So Jesus is telling them here in, in what is obviously a rather cryptic and, and encoded way uh, that there will be a time where he will not be visible and then another time where he will be visible again. And as we would expect, this um, causes the disciples to be confused. Now, uh, we see in verse 17 and 18 that the disciples are um, perplexed by this to the point where they are asking one another questions. What is he saying? What does he mean by this? Um, going so far as to say, we, we do not know what he's saying. We don't know what he means. Um, it's apparent that at this point in the storyline that the disciples are as confused as they have been at any point during Christ's ministry among them, that they've seen him perform miracles, they've seen him feed thousands and and raise people from the dead, heal diseased and cast out demons, but as he's telling them that he must leave, they're lost in confusion. So we see then that the first cause of the disciples' hurt is a failure to understand. Um, In this point in the text, John 16, he has just concluded his longest monologue, uninterrupted. So from John 14 all the way to this point, he has spoken to his disciples and taught them, and they haven't said anything in response. They've been quietly either listening or just being confused. And this is the first thing they do is respond by asking one another, what is he saying? You see, the the reason they do this is because their expectation would be that their Messiah has come. There's no need for him to leave. He's going to come now and establish the kingdom, stay with them forever. There's no reason for him to not be with them. So when Jesus tells them this, he, they are absolutely dumbfounded. They, they have no idea how to categorize in their minds that a Messiah must leave them. How, how often do we relate to this? When, when things come up in our lives, we're so often unable to see the purpose behind them. We, we fall into confusion. Think about um, receiving news that uh, the, you're, you've gone to the doctor and they, the, he tells you the tests have come back positive and that uh, the diagnosis is cancer. It, it leads to us to fail to understand and to be confused. Uh, maybe it's a, a person who you've placed a lot of trust in in a relationship and they betray you. See, it's, it's hard to understand what exactly um, is happening at all times, but that's where the disciples are tonight, on, on Thursday night before the crucifixion. So it's important to recognize that it's, it's not just the disciples' questions that are being asked here, but we hear their questions echoed in our own lives, and we wonder, what is God doing? What's, what is his intention? What is his purpose in whatever is happening? You see, this failure to understand then leads to the next cause of the hurt of the disciples, which is their failure to rejoice in Christ's promises. Uh, They don't understand what he's saying, and because of that, they immediately become fearful. And it's obvious that they become fearful in that they're not even willing to have the courage to ask Jesus what he's saying. They're asking among themselves what it is that he means by this, and um, clearly their despair is a response to their uncertainty. And even as this story continues, we see that their despair continues to grow approaching the crucifixion. This is an experience we can relate to, that 
when we come to a point in life that it seems that all hope is lost, that there is um, nothing going and working in our own good, it, it leads us to despair. Because we fail to understand, we, we are also falling into the same uh, mindset and the same mentality as the disciples here. And this is what they're feeling tonight, is, is despair, uncertainty, and hopelessness as they try to comprehend their Christ's message. But we see then in verse 20 uh, that Jesus actually is going to answer the questions of his disciples. He starts out verse 20 by saying, Truly, truly, I say to you. Now that phrase is important. It's used numerous times throughout the Gospel of John. Um, it's literally translated amen and amen. That's the Greek word. It's just the word amen. Um, he's saying, this is something that I have to tell you that's very, very important. It's whatever follows, Jesus is saying that there is tremendous importance that he's placing on it. And what does he tell him? He says, you will weep and lament, but the world will rejoice. You see the opposition here of the responses between the disciples and the non-Christians, those who do not love Christ. Um, when I read that, it kind of draws my mind to the story, uh, the, the, the part of the lion, the witch, and the wardrobe is Aslan is walking to the stone table, prepared to give his life for um, his army. And as Lucy and Susan walk with him, they're confused. They don't understand why he's going to the enemy. They don't understand why he's giving himself up to them. And as the white witch drives the spear through him, and you see Aslan breathe his last, they weep. The, the next scene, they see him laying, uh, Susie, Susie and Susan and Lucy are laying next to um, their king who's dead. They're weeping. They, they are lost. They feel their hope has died. But we see the opposite response from the witch and her armies. Is, uh, she screams, the great lion is dead. They, the energy in the room swells. They, they celebrate and cheer. They think the, the war has become a victory for them. They've won in that moment. You see, we first the first time that we watch that movie, the first time we read that story, we feel that hurt. We feel that what are we going to do now that Aslan's dead, now that he is gone, we are hopeless. See, I don't want us to, to skip that feeling. I want us to recognize tonight the purpose of meeting to, to join together tonight is to feel that confusion and that fear of loss. So back in John 16 then, we, can f- we, we see this. You're, we're late into the hours of Thursday night, possibly Friday morning. It's, it's this late. Jesus knows his betrayal, arrest, and death will come within hours. He's predicting that they will weep and they will lament. And we see that before he's even crucified. And Luke 23 uh, records that he's on his way to um, he's on his way to Golgotha. He's on his way to be crucified. And verse 27 of Luke 23 says that the crowds that are following him are mourning and lamenting. And Jesus and love will turn to his disciples and say, do not weep for me, but weep for yourselves. You see, all that Jesus is doing here in John 16 and all throughout the gospels and his ministry with the disciples is preparing them for this moment, preparing them that he will have to leave them. See, we know, you know, I think that personally for myself, when I read this, I I skip that feeling. I I can read right over that because I know what's coming on Sunday. I know that there is a resurrection, that it is a promise, that he will return. But 
don't skip over this. Let's, let's not be too quick to run to the empty tomb on Sunday that we miss the pain and the hurt that's coming tonight and tomorrow. And yet even when the disciples are at their lowest point, their, the most desperation they feel, Christ comes to them to bring them out of the pits with a promise of hope. Look again in verse 19 at the way that, he, uh, the way that this verse is structured. It says that he knew they wanted to ask him a question, so they said to him, so he said to them, you see what he's doing? He's coming to them with their questions. We, we serve a God who wants to move towards his people. He comes to us in our despair. You see, it's, it's Jesus who starts these conversations and moves in comfort towards them. He feels the weaknesses of his disciples, and in love, the all-knowing Lord comes to them when they feel as though they know nothing. And even though Jesus does prophesy the pain that will come, he also turns in the second half of verse 20 with the celebration that your sorrow will turn to joy. Think about this, that Christ is in this moment knowing what's coming tomorrow morning and his focus is not on himself or on the pain that he is going to feel, but it's on the pain that they will feel and ensuring them that there is comfort to come beyond that. This is the selfless love of our Savior. See, that's why he leads into this parable of the mother giving birth to a child. It's not prophesying or or illustrating the pain that he will feel. It's illustrating the pain that his disciples are going to feel. Anyone who has ever been in the delivery room as a child is born or anybody who's ever given birth to a child knows what this is talking about. That a mother, as she is giving birth, is screaming in pain. But in an instant, that pain and screaming turns into weeping tears of joy over a child. That's what Jesus is saying here is that there will be pain. It will be very real and it will hurt, but there will be joy that absolutely pushes out and replaces that pain. That's what the word means there. The, the turning idea is a complete replacement, a removal of one to replace with the other. Their sorrow will be removed and replaced with joy. When, when you read this promise, how does, it, how does it hit you? Does it stir your love for him? Does it, does it cause you to stand in awe before him? You see, the language is really important as we read this. Verse 22, it says that I, Jesus says, I will see you again. That language is, is beautiful to think that he also does the same thing in verse 19 when he comes to them with their questions. Jesus is saying, I will see you again. And that it's his presence that will bring them the joy that they feel. You see, it's not that he's coming to them with great gifts other than himself. It's that he's coming to bring them his presence, and his presence will fill them with joy. But you see, this joy is only going to be for you if you love him. This is a a warning if you do not love him. It's not a promise of joy for you if you are not a follower of Christ. It's a warning to repent and to follow after the God who can provide you lasting joy. You see, if we have our joy placed in anything that is not Christ, if it's placed in family or a pet or a, a job or a home, those, those joys will fade away. But as Jesus says in verse 22, when he sees us again, no one will take our joy from us. It's, it's a joy that lasts. 
And because we know that Christ will rise from the dead and that he does defeat death, then we know that this is a promise that has no end, that, that Christ will uphold this promise forever. There will be joy in his presence forever. It's, it's the promise of his presence that upholds us amidst uncertainty and, and pain. The promise of his presence is what upholds us amidst greatest uncertainty and pain. See, that's why Jesus is bringing them this truth at this moment. It's because he knows that they are in their greatest point of weakness and fear, and he knows that they need to hear that he will be with them. As the wonderful counselor that Christ is, he brings them exactly what they need to hear. Um, When we read this, it it causes me to um, be reminded of the Psalm 30 when King David says that weeping may tarry for the night, but joy comes in the morning. And that's true for us, that we can trust that Christ, uh, the promise that he's giving his disciples will apply to us as well, that, that there is sorrow and there's uncertainty, but joy will come in the morning. So in conclusion, we'll look at the last two verses here, verse 23 and 24. Um, so after he has promised us a joy that no one will be able to take from us, he then turns and gives us a snapshot into eternity with him. See, he's concluding his thoughts with a vision into glory. He doesn't simply want to, uh, his, his work isn't simply to save us from hell or to give us a free ticket to heaven. Um, his, his purpose is to give us joy through the experience of the presence of God. See, he's promising his disciples there will be a day that, they, that Jesus will be the mediator between them and the Father, that there will be a day when prayers will be made to the Father in Christ's name. And that's why we pray the way that we do. It's because Christ has instructed us to do so and because we know that it's his name who carries power to the Father, that praying in and of ourselves, uh, just speaking words into nothing is useless, but it's when we bring through the power of Christ, we bring our pleading on him, to him and he intercedes to the Father on our behalf. But notice that Jesus isn't saying that when we receive things, he, he says in verse 24, uh, ask and you will receive. He's not saying that you'll receive everything that you desire of this world. He's saying that the things that we want uh, or the things that we ask will be so that our joy will be complete. And he's already told us what our joy is in the earlier verses. Our joy is that we will be in the presence of Christ. So when he says that our joy will be full, it's that we will be fully in the presence of Christ. Uh, I'm reminded of the Garden of Eden, Adam and Eve living in perfect community with God, with no shame. Jesus wants our thoughts to be reflective of that, but for our future, a future time when we will live with God face to face. And our joy will be full because we will be with him. I have no doubts that uh, there are many fears and uncertainties in your lives. There's, there's no way around uh, those sorts of things in this life. It, a little further down in John 16 and verse 33, Jesus says, in this world there will be tribulation. This is a promise as well. But as all of those troubles swirl in your mind and as, uh, as they did with the disciples, listen to what Jesus is teaching us tonight. The Son of God is saying that in the midst of fear, uncertainty, and pain, Jesus will seek us out. He will bring us to rejoice in Him. 
As I said at the beginning, we, we know the end of the story. We know that Christ does die on our behalf, that he is raised from the dead, but the death cannot hold him. We know that there is a return of Christ, and because of that, we can praise God that tonight as we meet together, we, we do so celebrating a living hope. And please pray with me. <laughs>